As you're being seated, I want to say welcome to Ignite. Really glad you could be here with us this morning. My name is Chase. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you have your Bible, open with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 34. Matthew 14, verse 34. Uh, If you've been following along with us over the last few years, maybe you joined us just this year, you're new here. Uh, We've been taking a few years to work through the Gospel of Matthew together as a church. And today we've reached a major milestone in our study. At the end of uh, today's message, God willing, we will be halfway through the Gospel of Matthew. Amen. That's exciting. 28 chapters in the Gospel. We end chapter 14 today. Um, Crazy to think about it, but we started this series in the fall of 2019. We've been in it almost two years And it's our hope, it's our intention, it's our prayer to wrap this thing up before the Lord's second coming. Uh, So we're going to keep, we're going to keep working away, okay? Uh, But I pray it's been beneficial for you. It's been a great blessing for, I know, Steve and I, uh, Pastor Steve and I working through this together. Uh, The feedback from many of you has also been encouraging, getting to talk with many of you. Uh, One one piece of feedback we've received, which is, is awesome to me, is that This is the first time for many of you that in a church setting, you've worked through a book of the Bible verse by verse, section by section, uh, systematically. And that's awesome to me because I think that's the way the Bible should be, should be taught, should be preached. Look, at the end of the day, uh, it's God's word that transforms hearts. I can't do that. Only God. One preacher says, preaching is letting texts talk. That's all we want to do. We want to open the word of God to hear a word from God and let God's word transform our hearts and make us look more like Christ. And so we're going to continue in uh, Matthew. I want to catch you up to speed and really broad level overview. Look at the story of Matthew so far. Uh, In chapters one through four, we see that Jesus is the kingly Messiah. The word Messiah means savior or deliverer. He's the kingly Messiah. And his kingdom is radically different than any kingdom the world has ever seen. We saw that in Matthew chapters five through seven, the famous sermon on the Mount where Jesus brings the kingdom in word to the world. He teaches a radical kingdom ethic that is contrary to the thinking and feeling and the way the world looks and works but it's good because it's God's kingdom. After the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus not only bring the kingdom in word and in teaching, but actually in action and in power. Remember, we looked at chapters eight and nine of Matthew where he brings the kingdom to all people without distinction. He's going to Gentiles, he's going to Jews, he's going to poor people, rich people. He's bringing the gospel to all people. After that, chapters 10 through 12, Jesus calls the twelve. He appoints apostles. The word apostle literally means sent one, messenger. And he appoints 12 ordinary men who will eventually be the foundation of the church and the vehicles for the kingdom of God to advance throughout the known world. He calls them and he appoints them and he sends them. And then the spring we began chapters 13 and 14. And in this section we've seen the identity of Jesus as the savior of the world come into clear focus. And we've seen Jesus' mission, his purpose for coming to earth. 
start to come into clear focus. His disciples are starting to catch on to the fact that Jesus will inaugurate the kingdom of God for all people to see, but he's not going to do it through powerful, worldly exercise of authority. He's going to do it as a servant. And ultimately, this service will lead him to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver by one of his disciples, falsely accused and tried in Jerusalem, and ultimately crucified, dying a sinner's death, though he knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's how the gospel of Matthew ends. Oh, I should include the resurrection too. (laughs) I'm a pastor. (laughs) Oh, if you're a new believer, (laughs) the Lord rose again on the third day. (laughs) Oh, praise God. Matthew 28, he rose again. He appeared to many witnesses. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and we await his second coming. But it's beginning to come into clearer focus. And our text today in Matthew 14, 34 through 36, it's a short one. It's just three verses. And we've been looking at a lot of teachings of Jesus. We've been looking at narratives of Jesus and his uh, life with his disciples. But today, really, it's neither of those two things. This short section is really a summary of Jesus's ministry thus far. And it's really a transition, uh, little transition phrase or theme that takes us into the next section and movement of Matthew's gospel. But in this short text, we see the depth and impact of Jesus's ministry. We see Jesus's depth and impact Uh, of of his ministry really condensed in a short phrase. And as I studied this week, I did have on my heart burdened uh, for those who have maybe been hurt by the church. And I think this is in part from a conversation I had with a life group member a couple weeks ago. Uh, He shared with me he has some coworkers who don't go to church because they've been hurt by the church. He asked me maybe how to minister to them I'm thinking through that this week, and what I told them was, uh, show them Jesus. Show them Jesus. And here's what I mean. Many reject the Jesus of the Bible without having ever really looked at the life of Jesus as he's presented in the Bible. Many reject Jesus, or many reject the church, on a basis that the Bible doesn't even doesn't even teach or introduce. What I mean is that when we look at the life of Jesus as recorded trustworthily in the Gospels, we would never walk away thinking that Jesus intends to harm or hurt people. That's not his plan. That's not his intent. No scripture presents Jesus as one who is full of, John 1 says, grace and truth. We see him as compassionate. Matthew 11 says he is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is merciful. Jesus doesn't hurt people. He helps people. He heals people. He serves people. He redeems people. And so with that background in mind, we're going to see the ministry of Jesus in this short passage today. And I want to invite you to consider for yourself who does, who does Scripture say Jesus is? Not what does culture think Jesus might be. 
not how sinful people present Jesus, but I'm talking how does God's pure and good word present Jesus to us? That's our basis. And so look with me at chapter 14. We're going to read verses 34 through 36. It says this, And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. If you're taking notes, here's the theme that is all throughout and all over this text today. It is this. We see the mercy of God in the ministry of Jesus. We see the mercy of God in the ministry of Jesus. And in these few short verses, Matthew presents four qualities of Jesus' ministry. And so I invite you to see the mercy of our God in this ministry of Jesus as recorded in Matthew 14 with me today. Let's start at the top, verse 34. We see the first quality of Jesus' ministry is that his ministry is unavoidable. Unavoidable ministry. It says, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. By way of reminder, um, they crossed over the Sea of Galilee. We looked last week at uh, the violent storm that swept across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' disciples alone in the boat. It is between the hours of three and six in the morning. Jesus is off to pray, and they are fearing for their lives. It was an eventful night on the sea. Jesus came to them, appearing as a ghost, walking on the water. Peter also stepped out on the water. He almost drowned. Jesus, he calms the storm, and the disciples worship Jesus as the Son of God. And so the narrative picks up from that point. They worship him, saying, truly, you're the Son of God. And verse 34 says, they had crossed over. They came to land at Gennesaret. Gennesaret. This was a small region on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, It's also referred to as the plain of Gennesaret. So it's not just a town, but it's actually a region of small little communities. Gennesaret is only mentioned one time in the entire book of Matthew. This is it. And it's only mentioned three times in the entire New Testament. That is, it's not a very populous or popular town. We do know a little bit about this region that's important for Jesus' ministry and understanding it in this passage. There's a first century historian named Josephus, and he wrote a massive history, um, historical survey of the Jewish people beginning with Moses. And he describes the region of Gennesaret in the time of Jesus in vivid detail. Picture this with me. Josephus says, Gennesaret was a lush and fertile farmland, and it was watered by no less than four springs. It was able to grow all kinds of crops. In fact, so fertile was the soil that the region was used only for farming. There were no major towns or no major villages throughout the plain of Gennesaret in this region. You're thinking this sounds kind of familiar. It's because it's basically like all of North Dakota, right? (laughs) Fertile farmland, not very populous, It's flyover country. This isn't a place you would necessarily go to visit unless you worked there. It's a quiet region, naturally. 
So I think it's likely that Jesus came here to to rest with his disciples. Because we're going to read in the coming chapters, 15 and 16, that Jesus travels far north into a place that no good Jew would ever go, into the depths of Gentile, non-Jewish territory to minister. And so he might be resting and recharging, getting ready for that next leg of ministry to the Gentiles. But John's gospel records this account as well. And in John chapter 6, we see an important detail for how Jesus came to visit this region. And we're going to see that it wasn't just by chance that Jesus landed in this flyover country, peculiar region of Galilee. It'll be on the screen behind me, but John chapter 6, verse 21, look at this with me. It says, they were glad to take him into the boat. The storm ceased. They brought Jesus into the boat. And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going, that is the plain of Gennesaret. Immediately. Many scholars think this use of the word immediately is actually a miraculous occasion. John's the only one that records it this way. It says, immediately, when Jesus was in the boat, they were at the land to which they were going. They were still some three or four miles out, according to Matthew's account. But immediately, they were in Gennesaret at the region. And here's what you need to know. Jesus' visit to Gennesaret, it was marked by God's divine providence. That is, it was God's hand, his miraculous hand and his plan that brought them to Gennesaret, this overlooked, unpopulous region. And if Jesus is who he says he is, the king of the Jews, the savior of the world, the son of God, don't you think he should be ministering in the populous cities? Don't you think he should be ministering in the great temple of Herod in Jerusalem? Don't you think he should be showing the religious leaders what the kingdom of God actually means as the son of God? He will do those things, but not before he goes to the overlooked, quiet plains of Gennesaret. According to Jesus and his mission, no person, no region is too insignificant for him. No person, no region is beneath him to bring the power of God in all of its fullness. So John tells us that Jesus' ministry to the rural plains of Gennesaret was unavoidable in the sense that God had purposed they land there. Not to rest as he may be intended to do, but we're going to see in the next two verses, he, he had some work to do among the people of Gennesaret. His ministry is unavoidable. Look with me at verse 35. We see that Jesus had a compassionate ministry. A compassionate ministry. It says, And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick. The men of that place recognized him. Again, it's not a very populous region. It probably took some time before Jesus was recognized. But lo and behold... Maybe a farmer, maybe a hired hand working the field recognized Jesus and his 12 disciples. This this must be the Jesus of Nazareth of whom we have heard. You have to know that by this time, Jesus was 
well into his second year, coming up on his third year of public ministry. Jesus ministered publicly for three years. That's it. And by this time, his fame had spread throughout this 100-mile strip of land known as Palestine. It's the modern-day Arabian Peninsula in the east. Jesus is feeding people. He's healing people. He's teaching people. He's loving people. He's serving people. And so word of this is spreading very quickly. So pervasive and so quickly is this word spreading that it wasn't more than two years until the men of this obscure place off the Sea of Galilee knew just by looking, this is the Jesus of whom we have heard. And what did they do? They sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick. Jesus must have had a reputation of compassion because you're not going to bring the most vulnerable of your society to someone that would hurt them and beat them up and break them down. He must have had a reputation of compassion. Jesus wasn't like the religious leaders of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because when they would come up from Jerusalem to inspect the state of Judaism in the north with their long robes and their printed Torah on the scroll, you stand up a little more straight when you're around them. You're wondering, what sin are they going to find in me to condemn me? These are the righteous people. These are the religious leaders. But that's not how people view Jesus. Because the moment they saw Jesus, they brought to him all who were sick. That is the suffering, the weak, and the vulnerable. They saw Jesus as a compassionate shepherd for God's people. We read in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, a condemnation from God himself to the leaders, the shepherds, the religious leaders of Israel. And what Ezekiel 34 says, you can mark it for later, it says that God's shepherds whom he appointed to care for his people ultimately have starved the sheep and have caused them to scatter. In other words, the religious leaders created such a culture of works righteousness and burdensome law observance that sheep just scattered from them. They didn't want to be around them. But things are different when Jesus comes to the plains of Gennesaret because instead of flocking away from him, they flocked to him. They brought to him all who were sick, verse 35 says. Sickness and disability in Jesus' day wasn't just strange, and I, and I hate that it's even strange today, viewed that way. But it wasn't just different or strange. In Jesus' day, it was outright condemned. The Jews of Jesus' day had developed a theology that connected personal sin with personal suffering. That is, if you were born with a deformity or you were sick, you had a skin disease, leprosy was very common in Jesus' day. The religious leaders, the Jews of the day, would look at that person and ask, 
what sin caused this. There has to be some sin that made this happen to you. That's why you're suffering. That's why the disciples in a conversation recorded in John chapter 9, as Jesus is about to minister to a man born blind, his disciples, consistent with the worldview of the day, ask him, Jesus, was it this man, this blind man, or his parents who sinned that caused him to be born blind? That's John 9 verse 2. Personal sin connected with personal suffering. And if you were born with a disability, Jewish teaching says that person must have sinned against their mother in the womb. So you could imagine this created a culture of little grace and of great condemnation for the sick, the sufferers, and those who are suffering from deformities. But in this culture, Jesus demonstrates his compassionate heart because he loves those who the culture despised. They brought to him all who were sick. Not like the religious leaders who would say, where's your, su- where's your sin? That's why you're suffering. There's no record of that. Jesus shows compassion on them like a good shepherd for God's people. His ministry is marked by compassion. Look at the last verse with me, verse 36. We see Jesus' ministry is not only unavoidable, it's not only compassionate, it's also priestly. Let me explain what I mean. It's priestly. Israel had three offices or roles that God appointed to exercise his rule in Israel. The office of prophet. The prophet spoke God's word to God's people. You have the office of priest. The priest represented the people to God. And then you have the uh, office of king. If the priest represented the people to God as an intermediary, the king represented God to the people. And Jesus acted in all three of these and fulfilled all three of these uh, offices. But in verse 36, we see Jesus' priestly role on display. Look with me at verse 36. It says, They implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. They implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. The idea of a sick person touching someone who claims to be holy, a teacher of Israel, was unthinkable in Jesus' day. According to the law, the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, we see that being diseased, having a deformity, would have made you unclean according to the law. Now, being unclean did not mean you were sinful. But it meant you, you had to undergo some ceremonial cleansing to go before the holy God because God is holy. He is set apart from the things of this world. And so it was a normal part of life to be unclean. But if you were sick in any way, if you had a physical deformity, you'd be considered unclean according to the law. 
We read in Leviticus 14 that if you had the skin disease of leprosy, you were exiled to isolation so you don't spread it to other people and make other people unclean, and you were to live out in isolation away from your family until you would be restored. In fact, so pervasive was this worldview that if you were a priest representing the people to God, working in the temple service, you were not even to leave the temple lest you come into contact with some unclean thing and bring that back to the house of God. Further, scholar D.A. Carson says this, and I need you to hear this about the culture, the worldview of Jesus' day because it sheds so much light on this verse in ministry of Jesus. D.A. Carson says this, the religious leaders of Jesus' day counted it an abomination to rub shoulders in a crowd. One never knew what uncleanness one might contract. So you have the religious leaders of Jesus' day that aren't even willing to walk close enough to people to rub shoulders with them because they don't want to be unclean. So we have the religious leaders never walking in big crowds unless they're with their own holy, righteous, good people. And they see a sick person, they say, don't touch me, stay away from me. You're unclean. And then we have Jesus who ushers in an unimaginably greater ministry for the people of God. Because where the religious leaders said, I don't want to become unclean, don't touch me, don't rub shoulders with me, Jesus allows the sick, the suffering, and the unclean to touch him and receive healing. And the ministry of Christ is superior, much more excellent in every way, Because when the unclean touches the clean, the clean does not become defiled. But instead, the unclean is made clean. I don't know who needs to hear this, but we have a great high priest. His name is Jesus, who does not say, stay away from me, you unclean sinner but who says, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. I will cleanse you from the stain of sin. We don't stand far off from our priest, Jesus Christ. We have a priest who has brought us near by his once for all sacrifice. He cleanses us from the stain of sin. And he cleansed these poor people in the region of Gennesaret from their illnesses and diseases. And in that, we see our God's great mercy. It's his priestly ministry. And the fourth and final implication we see from Jesus' ministry, last part of verse 36, Jesus' ministry is comprehensive. It's comprehensive. Read with me. 
says they implored him that they might only touch the fringe, the tassel of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. If you have a Bible and you like marking it up, I'd recommend underlining the phrase, as many. As many as touched it were made well. That is, all people without distinction. When they reached and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, they were made well. No distinction. We see no mention in this passage or in Mark or in Luke or in John of the disciples doing an initial screening of the sick. Say, let me see the extent of your illness before we give you a few moments of our Lord's time. We don't see that here. Nor do we see a mention made of a specific type of person who was allowed to come to Christ and of a specific type of person that was turned away. We don't see that here because that's not in the ministry of Jesus. No, we see Jesus' ministry as one that is comprehensive for all people without distinction. All kinds of people were coming to Christ and receiving life, healing, care. I need to say this. This idea that Christ came only for a particular group of people or class of people or ethnicity is foreign to the New Testament, and I would say it's contrary to the gospel. Because in the last book of your Bible, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, a vision of what is to come, we see the author John, by the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, look into heaven And he says in Revelation 5, 9, that surrounding the throne was a worshiping community of people bought by the blood of Christ from every tribe, language, people, and nation. The worshiping community of God is a diverse community. John chapter 11 says, Jesus died to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says that when Christ died, he tore down the dividing wall of hostility so that in Christ there is one body of believers. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian or Scythian, but we are made to be one in Christ. And we see that in Jesus' ministry in Gennesaret, all people without distinction coming to receive mercy from our Lord, Jesus Christ. All kinds of people. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what my family's like. I might not, but the Lord does. And he says, come to me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. All people without distinction, as many as touched it, were made well. 
these four qualities of Jesus' ministry, this short summary statement that we'd often just read right over. Don't we see the mercy of God in the ministry of Jesus? We see Jesus' great compassion. We see that his ministry is God-ordained, unavoidable. He's going to the overlooked places, to the overlooked people. Jesus' ministry is priestly. He represents us to God. He's proximate. He's not afraid to rub shoulders with us. He adopts us into his family and calls us his own. And his ministry is comprehensive. doesn't matter what you've done, what's been done to you. Christ came for sinners and sufferers, all people without distinction. What great mercy we see in the ministry of our Lord. So I want to encourage you today. If you haven't taken a close look at the ministry of Jesus as presented in the scriptures, consider Jesus. Look at the life and ministry of Jesus. When you do, you will find a merciful Savior who, knowing your sin, became sin in your place that you might become the righteousness of God. And he brings us to the Father for relationship. So as we close in prayer, I invite you to behold our God and see the mercy of God in the ministry of Jesus. Pray with me. Father, I'm reminded of the scripture that says, what love is this, that we should be called children of God? We don't deserve that. We are sinners walking in willful disobedience. We've committed a sin of cosmic treason against our creator. Yet Christ came for sinners and sufferers. He came for the overlooked to act as our priest on our behalf, bringing us to God, all people. This is good news. God, thank you for the gospel and that Jesus lived a sinless life that we could not live in our place. Jesus died the death that we deserve to die in our place on the cross for our sins, satisfying your wrath that Christ rose again, granting new life to all who would place their faith in him. This is good news. What mercy we have in that. So call this to mind. Let us see your mercy. Call it to mind. Bring it to attention. It's there. Make us see it this week. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.